Today we continue our series from the Old Testament. We are looking at events and stories that are meaningful to us, and uh, perhaps they will serve as a reminder. We have come today in our study to the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are made up of 290 words. In comparison, the Bill of Rights has 463 words. The Gettysburg Address, 266 words. And a federal directive to regulate the price of cabbage, 26,911 words. Or you might wonder, why are the Ten Commandments so few words? And the answer would be because they came from God rather than a legislative committee. Now, we respond differently to the Ten Commandments. There are some people who simply ignore them. We basically ignore their existence and what they have to say. Newsweek magazine did a study and discovered that 44% of Catholics and 49% of Protestants could only say four of the Ten Commandments. So our children did a great job today. There are some people who resent the Ten Commandments, and the reason for that is because they resent any religious instruction. In fact, in my devotional time this morning, I was reading in Proverbs 1, and it says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there are those people who despise or they reject the Ten Commandments because they reject or despise all religious instruction. Marty Kaplan was writing for Time magazine. He said, what attracted me to meditation was its apparent religious neutrality. You don't have to believe anything. All you have to do is do it. I was worried that reaping its benefit would require some faith that I could not fake, but I was happy to learn that 90% of meditation was about showing up. So there are those people who resent the Ten Commandments. There are those who reject them. They see them as being suggestions from God or something that you might want to consider, but they reject them. Or we can embrace them and learn what God wants us to learn. Now, take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, and we'll look at the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse number 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall not work, nor do any, uh, you shall not do any work, or you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right. As we look at the Ten Commandments, there are some questions raised. First of all, we would ask the question, are they bad for us? Because there are some people who believe that any command, any instruction is bad for us. And as a result of that, we have parents who are raising their children without adequate instruction, without any commands. In fact, some of them don't even toilet train their children, believing that eventually they'll get around to it. And then when it comes to the issue of whether or not to go to church, well, they'll make that decision for themselves because they believe that instruction or commands are bad for us. Well, why do we believe that? How did we come to that conclusion that instruction or commands are bad for us? Well, there are some have who have concluded that, uh, they, that rules stifle our freedom. And that when, when, when we begin to, to become a person focusing on instruction or we focus on commands, then they stifle our freedom. Joy Davidman wrote Smoke on the Mountain. She told of a Western missionary who was attempting to convert an African chief with the Ten Commandments. He listened and then said, I do not understand. You tell me that I must not take my neighbor's wife? And the missionary said, that's right. And the chief said, or his ivory or his oxen, and I must not dance the war dance and then ambush him on the trail and kill him. And the missionary said, that's absolutely right. He said, but I cannot do any of these things. I'm too old. To be old and to be a Christian... They are the same thing. That's the way some people look at the Ten Commandments. They are rules and regulations for old people. But for those who are not old and can still do things, then they simply stifle our freedom. So find out what the baby's doing and make them stop. So there are those who believe that the, the, the commands or the instruction of God's Word is bad for us because it stifles our freedom. And some people think they're bad because we should focus on love and not commands, not instruction. In fact, Joseph Fletcher said that the Christian should emphasize love, not rules and regulations. And then he went on to tell a story about a German woman whose name was Bergmeier. She was captured by the Russian army, taken away from her family. The only way that she could get out of prison and be reunited with her family is if she happened to be pregnant. So she seduced one of the guards and became pregnant and was released to her family. 
Fletcher argues that though she broke a commandment, her act was justified by the results. It was an act of love. So there are those who say we, we need to ignore the commands. We need to in, ignore the instruction and just live lives of love. There are some people who feel that they are bad or reject them because they distrust the rule makers. You know, there's a great deal of distrust for those who make rules today. Have you seen um, bumper stickers on cars that say question authority? I come across those every once in a while, I come up behind a car and it says question authority. My friend John Norman in Oklahoma City told me about a judge there who came upon a car. There was a young man in it. He had a bumper sticker that said question authority. So the judge drove up the side, he motioned for him to roll down the window. He rolled down the window and the judge said, uh, what was it you wanted to ask? And the young man said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, your sign says question authority. He said, I'm a judge, so I guess I'm a person of authority. But see, sometimes we reject all rules because we question the authority of those who are in authority. For instance, the president and Congress make rules that they don't keep. Preachers preach sermons that they don't live. And because we have lost trust in authority, then we question authoritative statements. Are they bad for us? Some people say, yes, they, they are. Are they absolute? Are they obsolete? They were written a long time ago. Do they really have anything to say to us today? Do they apply to us all these years later? Some people conclude that they are obsolete, that they are not absolute, that they are out of touch with contemporary society. Don't commit adultery. You've got to be kidding in this uh, environment, in this culture in which we live. Honor your father and mother. Why should you do that? There are those who say that they are irrelevant, that um, we don't make Idols and worship idols. It says don't make idols. We don't do that. Keep the Sabbath. How can one keep the Sabbath in our secular society? And so there are those who say that they are out of touch. They're obsolete. Some conclude that they are not, that they still apply to us because they emphasize God's values and warn us about the consequences of disobedience. I read a story about a psychiatrist who deals with AIDS patients. He was being interviewed by a reporter. The reporter asked, if we had played by New Testament rules on sexual behavior, would we have had an epidemic? And the psychiatrist said, of course not, but for God's sake, don't quote me on that. There are those who say, yes, they still apply to us because they are God's warning to us that there are consequences to our actions. They are important because they control human nature. You parents know you, you didn't have to teach your children to sin, did you? Well, I know that your child is exceptional, but we don't have to teach them to sin. Therefore, we have to teach them through the language of law. It controls human nature. It also... The, it also allows creativity. I remember when uh, I was studying child psychology, 
And a study had been done that a child actually is able to be more creative when they know where the boundaries are. So if we establish clear boundaries for the child, then the child is able to be more creative because they are not in danger. They know where the danger line is. That was illustrated perfectly to me once when I was in the Atlanta airport, and I was sitting there waiting for a plane, and I noticed a little child playing. You know how they have the windows there overlooking the tarmac and so forth. And the little child was playing, and they were getting right up on the sill of it, looking over, and I thought, you know, if that window was not there, that child would not get nearly as close. And the same thing is true in creativity. When the child knows where the line is, then they can actually be more creative because they know that they are not in danger by staying on this line. So the commandments raise question, are they bad for us? There are some people who conclude that they are, but I think we would say that uh, we see them as not being. Well, let's look at them. And Dr. Hardin asked me before the service started, he said, now, how are you going to get through Ten Commandments in 30 minutes? I'm going to do do it in 15 minutes. So we're going to go through them very quickly here, but we're going to look at both both tablets. The first one has to do with our relationship to God, how we relate to God. And he tells us in verse number three, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, let me ask you a question. Is the God you worship the God of the Bible Or is he a God you have created? And Lamont said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates the same people you do. The Bible says that we are to have no other gods. Why? Because God is worthy. Look at verse number 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Folks, he really is worthy of worship. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. And he only wants what is good for you. You see, the Ten Commandments were not given to to suppress you. The Ten Commandments were given for your good. Because it's for your good. Then he says in verse number 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. Human hands cannot construct God. In his totality. Now, having said that, the Lord has always used symbols and images to teach us his character. This morning in my devotional time, I came to the passage of Scripture in the Old Testament where it was talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had the seed of mercy. What does that teach us about God? That God is a merciful God. That God is a God of forgiveness. Then I was reading about the tabernacle and how we are able to see the character of God as we look at the elements of the tabernacle. For instance, it talks about the altar of incense. That speaks to us about prayer. That we are able to come to God in prayer. That we have been invited to come before Him in prayer. talks about the table of showbread, which speaks of His provision. That God provides for His children. It talks about the candlestick. The candlestick speaks that He is the light of the world in a place of darkness. It reveals the bronze uh, basin, which speaks of the cleansing of sin. Last week we looked at manna, which uh, was a lesson to us, a symbolic lesson to us that God provides for His children. 
He provides for his children. And, of course, manna also represents Jesus. Here's the danger, though, of symbols, that they become a substitute for God. That's the danger. The Lord uses symbols to teach us about his character. The danger is that they become a substitute for God and we become dependent upon them rather than upon God and that we come to the place where we worship the image, we worship the symbol rather than God. Good example. You recall in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were going through the land of the wilderness and they came to a place where the serpents were biting them and they were dying. And Moses, under the leadership of the Lord, told them to make a bronze serpent. And they put the bronze serpent on a pole and held it up and said, anyone who looks on the serpent will be healed. Was that happened. After a while, however, they began to worship the bronze serpent. That was the reason that Hezekiah had the bronze serpent destroyed. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 18.4, He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until these days the sons of Israel burned incense to it. You see what happened? The image became the object of worship. And that's the danger of symbols, that's the danger of images, is that after a while they can become the object of our worship. For instance, the Jews were so much into the symbols and the images that when Jesus came, they rejected him because he did not match their image of what the Messiah was to be. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, there is a danger there for us as well. You see, folks, I, I love the traditions of the church. But you always have to be careful that the tradition does not become a substitute for God. And oftentimes what happens to us is that we so emphasize our tradition that we want the Lord to fit our tradition, to fit into the mold of our tradition, rather than the tradition being a reflection of Jesus. That is the danger. So he said, you're not to do that. Then in verse number 7, he said, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We pray something similar in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why do people take God's name in vain? Do you find that as offensive as I do when someone takes God's name in vain? Well, some people do it because of ignorance. They simply are ignorant of the seriousness of it. Some people have an uncontrolled tongue and, you know, they just let it go. What was it, uh, two or three weeks ago in California, they had a cuss-free day? I think it was in California, but they had a day when no one was going to swear. You see, there are some people who use the Lord's name in vain because they have a tongue that is not controlled, and some simply are unsaved, and they have no reverence for God or for the name of God. But he says that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain. In verse number 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he goes on and says that God is our example for keeping the Sabbath, because he created the world in six days and then he rested. Folks, we need the Sabbath. We need it physically. 
We need that day to allow our bodies to rest and replenish itself. A study revealed that after approximately 40 hours of work, concentration drops, mistakes increase, and morale takes a nosedive. Health is affected, high blood pressure and premature heart attack. So we physically need that day. Also emotionally, we need a day when we can just get away from it, do something else. We need it emotionally. We need it spiritually. That's the reason that Sunday is so important. Folks, I, I, I hope that you look forward to gathering with the other people of God to worship Him, to sing praises to Him, to study His Word, to fellowship with each other. That's the reason the Bible tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We simply need it. And so the Lord has told us that we are to keep the Sabbath because that is good for us. So the first tablet then has to do with with, uh, how we relate to God. The second tablet has to do with our relation to each other. Verse number 12, he says, honor your father and your mother. Why? I noticed that several of the children this morning were quoting that. I guess that you parents are teaching them that part of it. But uh, why are we to do that? Because God said to There are some things we do simply because God says to do it. And then the Bible says that it is a command with promise that the Lord gives us a promise. So the children are right when they say you're supposed to honor your father and your mother because that's what the Lord says. And then he says in verse number 13, you shall not murder. Well, by now you might say, well, finally I've kept one of them. You shall not murder. But you need to understand that there's more than one way of murdering someone. Certainly there is the taking of a physical life. That is, that is murder if you take another person's life. But did you know the Bible also teaches us that we can murder verbally? We can murder with the tongue. The Scripture says in Matthew 5, 21, 22, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And this is Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Both physical and verbal murder come from a hateful heart. So there are some of you who would not think of taking another person's life, but then you destroy them with your tongue. That comes from the same place, a hateful heart. Another way I think that we can commit murder, in a sense, is through neglect. Our nurses' homes are filled with people who are dying because of neglect. Nobody sees them. Nobody cares about them. And they are simply dying because of neglect. We need to take seriously what these commands say and understand, the, the, uh, understand them in an expansive way, that it's more than just taking another person's life. Folks, we can badly hurt other people with our words. We can b- badly hurt other people by neglecting them. So he said, you shall not murder. Verse number 14 you shall not commit adultery. That is something that needs to be heard in our, in our society today. It certainly needs to be uh, heard in the church today. We shall not commit adultery. 
Verse number 15, he said, you shall not steal. There are different ways to steal, just as there are different ways to commit murder. There, of course, is seizure, that I take something that belongs to somebody else, that I take it for myself. That's one way. Another way is deception. That's stealing. I watch television sometimes and see those uh, diet commercials on there. You know, you buy this pill, and, and uh, you take a pill, and two weeks you lost 40 pounds. They don't work. But we can steal by deception. Uh, Bernie Madoff uh, stole $50 billion by deceiving people, by defrauding people. I'm missing something. I don't know. I, I know that I'm missing something because I have been hearing a commercial on the radio, and it says that if you have a, a credit card balance of $10,000 or more, then call this number, and we will negotiate that you don't have to pay that bill. My daddy didn't teach me that way. Now, I don't know. I must be missing something. But I was taught that if you had owed $10,000, you owe $10,000. But you see, we are, we are not to steal. And that can be taking something that belongs to someone else, or we can also do it by deception, and we can also do it by defrauding other people. Then in verse number 16, he says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, there's a lot of ways of bearing false witness. We can just outright lie. You know, I mean, that's one way. Another way is to distort the facts. Another way is to exaggerate. That's one for the preachers, you know. We have a tendency. It's like John Bassanio said one time, Pastor First Baptist Houston, he was talking one time. He said, uh, he said you know, we were running 10,000 in Sunday school until some fool counted them. Well, we have a tendency sometimes to, you know, to, uh, to exaggerate. But we need to understand that that's still lying. And then in verse number 17, you shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do you know what? On that tenth commandment, it is coveting that causes us to break all the others. I, I believe that if you will look at it, you will find that coveting is the catalyst for breaking the other commandments. Now, let me, let me close. God gave the Ten Commandments. It begins that then God spoke all these words. So these words, the commandments, came from God. So he gave them. But why did he give them? Why did he give us the Ten Commandments? I think, by and large, they are designed to make us aware of our inability to live a perfect life. You know what James says about the Ten Commandments or about the commandments? He said, if you've broken one, you're guilty of all. You know why? Because if you break one, then you're a lawbreaker. And maybe you've kept most of them, but if you break one, you're guilty of all. God has given us the Ten Commandments so that we are able to see our inability. In, I cannot live up to the standard of God. Therefore, I come to Jesus to receive the grace of God. And so the Lord then has fulfilled the law. He's, and the, when it says, Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, but to fulfill it. What that means is that I have come to give it meaning. I have come to fill it with meaning. And so the Lord has fulfilled the law. He has kept the law. And because he has kept the law, then he gives to us grace. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is the only way that we are ever made right with God. You will never be made right with God by keeping the Ten Commandments. That should be your goal. You should try to do that. But you're never going to keep them perfectly. That's the reason we need the grace of God. Jesus Christ gave His life to pay for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know Jesus? 
Have you ever received Him and His grace and His forgiveness? That's what the Ten Commandments should teach you, that you need His grace. If you've never received Christ, today's the day you should commit your life to Him. Our Father, thank You for Your very clear words. And thank You for the commands that You have given for our good, not for our harm. Lord, I pray today that we might see them and then see ourselves and be aware of the fact that we need a Savior. And Lord, I especially pray today for those who need to accept Christ that they would do so. I pray for others who need simply to be obedient to the Father, to join the church or whatever it is that you're speaking to their hearts about. I pray that they will be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen.